Well, 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 folks. It is Wednesday, September 28th, and we are back for another edition of the MMA Ratings Hangout. This is Rafael Garcia of MMA Ratings. Um, you can always catch me at rgarcia underscore sports, where I am talking MMA, boxing, football, any just about any sport, except for maybe baseball and hockey. Don't talk those so much, but you never know that may change in the near future. Either way, thank you for coming back and joining us on another Wednesday to close out the month of September. This is our last podcast for September before we head into October. And man, do we have a lot to talk about. Uh, my co-host, everyone's favorite analyst and everyone Everyone's favorite commentator when it comes to breaking down fights, uh, Shawan Humes, will be on the show later on today. I'm hoping I just sent him a text to let me remind him. But um, he should be on later on today. And we also have a special interview scheduled for later on with um, CFC, CFFC fighter Chris Perez. Hoping he, he can um, come on later on today at 8.30 to talk about his career. And just to talk about the state of MMA as a whole. And man, do we have a lot to talk about um, in reference to that. If you have not been in what is going on in the sport, then you probably have been living under a rock or you're in a coma, something along those lines. Because this week has been a huge week when it comes to news and just uh, information breaking about probably what's going to go down as at least the biggest fight, the biggest fight card in UFC history to date. And it's amazing, man. I feel like I've said that at least three times so far uh, this year, but it keeps happening. And every time it happens, it involves that man, Conor McGregor. Um, Of course, I'm talking about UFC 205, which is the first event that is set for Madison Square Garden. It's the UFC's first event since in New York since 95, I believe. And yeah, they're back to, to I didn't really remind everybody because nobody really forgot, but they've come back to let everybody know that they are the big boys in UFC, or excuse me, in mixed martial arts. They are the they are the leaders in the sport. And man, they're probably I definitely agree that they are the biggest probably grown sport in like when it comes to the opportunity to have moments such as this like we we know how big the Super Bowl is going to be every year we know how big the NBA finals the World Series will be every year we know how big the World Cup is going to be every year but when the UFC puts moments together like what is supposed what UFC 205 is expected to be the, the anticipation is up every time, and I think that this is no different. Uh, these last few days have been effing amazing when it comes to fight announcements, um, expectations, just everything that's going on with the sport. So, go ahead and uh, dive on into the conversation, and this is this is go ahead and talk about that. Let me get myself situated here. I'm trying not to spill water on my laptop. And I am actually tweeting right now, too, as well. So with UFC 205, obviously, you know, we got to start at the top. 
we can't talk about this card without starting at the very top, talking about the main event this week when Conor McGregor char challenges Eddie Alvarez for the light heavyweight championship. Now, coming into this week, the conversation was surrounding the idea that Alvarez will be facing Khabib Nurmagomedov, who many consider to be the um, light heavyweight number one, excuse me, lightweight never, number one contender, even though he's only fought once in the past two years, and he fought in his UFC debut. So taking a fight on short notice as well, too. So that was the idea heading into this fight. Then there was the story swirling around that the fight agreement wasn't signed. And perhaps this bout will be moved to UFC 206, which is the one that is supposed to be in Toronto. Then, you know, that there's a whole DSP around that. But um, that was the that was the mentality coming into this week. Uh, a lot of people were, you know, they were kind of ho hum on UFC 205. I remember watching the MMA beat last Thursday, where they were just kind, they weren't. I don't want to say down on the sport, or excuse me, on the event, but they were talking about it in a way that wasn't as, as exciting, based off of everything that happened at UFC 205 and or 200, excuse me, and the way that event was expected to be huge, but was very, very ho hum, for lack of a better term. It wasn't. It wasn't what we thought it was going to be. Insert Danny Green quote at your own volition. But this week came around and we got hit with the announcement that McGregor is fighting. He's fighting for the lightweight title. Now, I think this new story broke. Was it Monday? Was it what's today? Today's Wednesday. I think the story broke Monday around 1230. And I was uh, immediately one of my good friends that worked back at uh, ESPN, Phil Murphy. He's also a great uh, MMA analyst and great uh, anchor for the worldwide leader in sports. We immediately started talking about it on Facebook. And it's like, man, this is this is a huge event. When you couple that with the fact that this card by itself Okay, this card features Conor McGregor versus Eddie Alvarez, Tyron Woodley versus Stephen, Stephen Thompson, Yuanita Jacek against Carolina Kowalskiewicz, Chris Weidman, Yoel Romero, Khabib Nurmagomedov against Michael Johnson. That fight just got added yesterday. Frankie Edgar, Jeremy Stevens, Kelvin Gastelum, Gastelum, Donald Cerrone, Tim Kennedy. I forgot all about that fight. Uh, Misha Tate. Raquel Pennington, Thiago Alves, Jim Miller, Rafael Natal, Tim Bosch. That's probably the worst fight on this card. Liz Carmouche, Caitlin Chukagin, and then you also have Bilal Muhammad and Lyman Good. That may be the worst fight. I mean, just because it's Lyman Good, but you know, it is what it is. Um, that is... This this is a thirteen fight card that is that is going to blow the doors off of anything that we've seen in the past. Three good and well anticipated title fights. 
a preliminary card that's going to set up the next contender at light heavyweight. Excuse me, good, I keep doing that. At lightweight, potentially at featherweight, maybe at welterweight if Cerrone gets a big win. You got Rashad Evans and, and, and Tim Kennedy maybe pushing for a middleweight title shot. Misha Tate and Raquel Pennington. The next uh, bantamweight, women's bantamweight contender may come out of that fight. You got the returning Thiago Alves against the always tough Jim Miller. Rafael Nicole, Kim, uh Tim Bosch. You got Liz Carmouche facing a very dangerous opponent in Caitlin Shukigan. Then you got um, the prospect Muhammad against Lyman Good. People who people who Lyman Good and people kind of forgot about after he um, kind of uh, fell off with Bellator. So there's so much that's really going on on this card that it's almost it's almost overwhelming. Clearly at the top. McGregor Alvarez is is the fight that everyone wants to see. Let me see. Uh, trying to get Sean here real quick. Give me one second, people. But yeah, it's UFC 205, McGregor Alvarez, how do we break that fight down? I mean, Schwann's going to come on and talk about the technical aspects of these guys in the cage. Um, I love to talk about the business side. And this is the right fight to make. I mean, Namago Madoff is clearly the number one contender. I'm not going to say clearly. But he's the number one contender to that title. And yeah, that fight, Alvarez, Namago Madoff, what, maybe 300,000 buys, 500,000, somewhere along those lines depending on the on the rest of the card. But Alvarez McGregor is going to do big numbers. I don't know if it's going to do as big as uh, Diaz McGregor, but it probably might come close, especially with this with the rest of the card that's built under that. But there are a couple of questions I immediately had. How much money is McGregor getting paid? You know, he just got paid $5 million for uh, the Diaz fight. And there's no telling how much he's going to be making for this fight against Alvarez. Hey, Sean, yeah, you, you just joined us. I see. Yeah, how's it going? It's going good, man. Going good. How uh, how's your week? Uh, I've been busy. Uh, had to w- watch a lot of footage, uh, sparring and st- stuff for fighters, and uh, a whole lot of news in, in MMA today. So, so a lot of stuff to process. Man, when show. you talk about man, who who are you telling? Like, you probably heard about what's going to go down in a few weeks at UFC 205, correct? Uh, yes, sir. Man, like what, like I was sitting up, I just happened to be up at 12.30 on a Monday doing some work when that fight announcement came up, came across. What was the first thing you thought of when you saw that Conor McGregor is going to be challenging for the light, lightweight title? Uh, in a sense, I was kind of surprised because um, I mean, I, I figured at some point he'd go back after the light the lightweight title, but I was kind of shocked that they got it done so quickly because, I mean, McGregor knows he has a lot of leverage. Like, the UFC can't play him the same way they play everybody else because he constantly brings in money and eyes and attention. So I was kind of, because I didn't think that Dana would be willing to concede on everything to pay McGregor when McGregor knows he's worth it. Man, forget. And as a result, Eddie Alvarez is going to demand big money because 
of what they did is got paid when he got McGregor. So like now on it's gonna be like Floyd Mayweather effect where the guy who's fighting Floyd got the biggest payday in their career, and the guy who's fighting Conor McGregor will now be getting the biggest payday of their career. I, I, we can't really hear you. Um, we can't really hear you. Your your Hello? volume dropped down. There. Yeah, there you go. That's much better. All right, I'm sorry. Uh, basically, my whole thing was I was concerned that the the UFC would try to stonewall McGregor because he's demanding a lot of money. He he knows what he's worth, and the UFC can't dictate to him like they do other fighters. And it's not just paying him. Now Conor McGregor is like the MMA version of Floyd Mayweather, where he's going to make a bunch of money and whoever he's fighting is getting the biggest payday of their career. So now the UFC has got to pay two salaries and from this point on out, anybody fighting McGregor will be getting career high paydays to fight him. That's the reason everybody's calling out his name. It's not just because they want to be the best or have a title. Well, what's interesting about that is that um, if you watched the press conference from, from maybe like two days ago or I think it was yesterday, um, supposedly... Alvarez is getting the same payout that he received for his previous bouts. Like he didn't get a new contract written just for this event, which is which is you know a, if true. I don't know if it's true or not. And looking at the way Alvarez reacted to it, I don't think that that was far from the case. Um, that would be a huge mistake by uh, by Alvarez because we know McGregor's going to be making millions of dollars for this fight. Um, he made, I believe it was $3 million for his last fight against uh, Nate Diaz. I wouldn't be surprised if it's 5 for at least for UFC 205, not including pay-per-view points and all, and all the other um, contractual information that, that, that's going to be in there. But if looking at the way Alvarez responded and that kind of like said that he's not taking this fight for the money, that lets me know that he is not getting as much as a Nate Diaz did, or even a Jose Aldo did when he fought Conor McGregor. And that's very alarming to me. Um, that's a very, if, if true, again, we'll see once the event goes off and once the, the disclosed numbers come out. But if this guy isn't getting a, a huge payday, man, someone on his management team deserves to get fired for that. Yeah, you're not going to get any argument from me. That's, that's the one thing I've actually had an issue with in MMA over boxing and boxing depending on who you fight, like his popularity and what he has, that impacts your bottom line. You fight Floyd, you, you get paid more to fight Floyd Mayweather than you get to pay to fight Danny Garcia. You can pay more to fight Danny Garcia than you get to fight Robert the Ghost Guerrero because they're different calibers with, with different fan bases and different paydays. Whereas MMA sometimes sticks people in these, you know, you've got a, you, you've got a contract, we're going to pay you this flat fee. And like you said, if his management somehow didn't get him a career-high payday, they dropped the ball because Nate Diaz wasn't a champion, and he's and he got well over a million dollars on two different occasions. Now you're going to be a defending champion in your first defense in their biggest show in Madison Square Garden, and all you're getting is your regularly contracted pay. I mean that's, I mean the only thing he, the only thing I'm guessing is maybe he figures I'm going to get pay per view points, and if they do another, if they do even a million buys, you know I'm going to get paid on the back end of it. But I can't imagine he's hedging all his bets on pay per view buys, and if he is, it's I mean, I guess he just really wants to fight, but I mean, he's a prize fighter. You don't do this for pride; you do this for money. That the pride and everything else is secondary. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly, and at at this point, he shouldn't. 
this is like this is a business, man. This this MMA is a business, and if he's missing out on millions of dollars, I think that is going to be a huge misstep on his mm-hmm. point. But okay, before, let me ask you a question. Go ahead. Let me ask you a question real quick. Wasn't the reason he came to the UFC from Bellator because he wanted to make more money? So now he's got yes, the big, he's got the meal ticket, he's got the cash cow, he's got MMA's Floyd Mayweather to fight him for a title, and he's getting like an agreed upon a priorly agreed upon salary. What sense does that mean? That's why you left Bellator so you can make more money and be a huge star. Like that was the purpose of you leaving, and now it's not about the money. Uh, that sounds yeah, a little backwards. Exactly. Now. You know, I didn't even I didn't even think to say think of it that way. I didn't even think of it that way. But you're 110 percent right. He was he, he was willing to fight Bellator and and lose years on his career over money. And now he's in a situation where he's fighting the biggest fight at on the biggest card in MMA history. And then he says it's not about the money. That 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 is a huge. Um, statement there, and, and you're 100% right. Like, um, that, that's, 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 yeah, I'm going to be interested in seeing what his, uh, what his payout is. And if it's not substantial, then man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, um, I'm going to question his management team because they should, they should definitely be on top of that and make sure if this man not, is getting what, he, what he's worth. If it's not substantial and he loses, it's really going to be a setback. So you got paid regular pay to fight the biggest name in MMA. You got your re- regular salary, and you lost your title. Good job there. Good job there, management. Good job there, fighter. So let's let's talk about that because McGregor opened as the favorite. What what are your thoughts about this fight from a technical standpoint? A technical standpoint, like I'm an I'm an Eddie Alvarez fan. I've watched a lot of his fights. I think he has a lot. Of, I think he's got some of the best boxing as far as like not just the punches but the footwork positioning and the placement my problem with alvarez is that a i still don't think his chin is what it used to be and b as good as his defense allows him to get away from some shots but everybody who's fought him has put hands on him gilbert melendez busted up his eye pretty bad pettis could never get that that really big that really clean power shot on him but pettis was punishing him to the body pettis just has no sense of urgency he he just keeps waiting for a submission or knockout strike to come but when he he put his foot on the gas he was landing shots on. He was landing shots on Alvarez. He landed a lot of them on him. And the same thing goes with Donald Cerrone. Cerrone was putting leather on him, putting shins and feet and knees on him at a very high level. So the problem is now he's facing a guy who's probably the best athlete he's fought in the UFC, the guy who's the biggest puncher in the UFC, and the guy who sets the highest pace out of anybody he's fought in the UFC. And that's what. To me, that's a recipe for disaster. A lot of people tell me RDA sets a higher pace. RDA is throws more punches and he's a bigger puncher. I don't necessarily know that's true. I don't think RDA is a particularly sharp puncher. And I don't think he has as many tools and variations in how he's hacked. And that's going to be the biggest difference. McGregor is going to be, I think what McGregor is going to try to do is he's going to try to work those front kicks and work that long range and be an aggressive counter puncher. He's not just going to walk in anymore. He's not going to just try and overwhelm Alvarez. He understands after that loss to Diaz what that kind of approach can cost him if he fights stupid. He's not going to be fighting stupid anymore. He's fighting to win. He's not fighting to make a point anymore. He's fighting to win. He still wants to win in spectacular fashion, but the main thing is for him to win, and he wasn't doing that before Diaz. After the loss from Diaz kind of snapped him back to reality, and now he's willing to be a little bit more deliberate with what he's doing and be a little bit more technical 
and be a little bit more restrained in his aggression so that he can score points, so that he can win rounds, so that he can keep out of bad positions instead of just throwing volume in, getting taken down, and, and just trash-talking his way until he can find a way back up. I think he's going to actually use his range, those front kicks, those snap kicks, and the side kicks, and he's going to try to take Alvarez's gas tank. And I think he's just going to keep trying to pressure Alvarez and get him to give up a, a wild takedown or come in a little bit too hard, and he's just going to counter him. I think that's his game every single time he fights. It's just a matter of will he stick to it or does he decide he's going to put his power against his, his opponent's power, put his chin against his opponent's chin, put his volume against his opponent's volume. If he did that, Alvarez could sneak out a decision just by taking him down and working him over repeatedly. He did it to Pettis, but the one thing people forget about the difference between Pettis and McGregor is McGregor has a sense of urgency at all times. He knows when to turn it on. He will come out and throw 100 strikes around. He will throw the whole kitchen sink at you. And if, and in my opinion, if Alvarez had a hard time take, holding Pettis down, I don't think he's, I think he's going to have an equally hard time holding McGregor down because it's not like he just controlled Pettis and took him down left and right. Pettis defended some of those takedowns. Pettis landed shots. If Pettis isn't a sharper puncher, he's not as good as in the pocket, and he, he doesn't react well underneath pressure. McGregor reacts well under pressure. McGregor will get into an exchange with you and win the exchange. McGregor's a sharper puncher and a sharper kicker. He might not be as powerful and as diverse, but he's sharper in his approach, and he's more scientific in his approach. I, I don't see – I see him – I see McGregor be, beating him inside of three rounds, and if – Alvarez comes out and really tries to push the issue like he did with RDA, I don't think he gets outside of a round. I think McGregor gets and walks him into a big counter after attacking him to the body a lot, cutting his legs off, and then finishing him with a big counter shot. I don't think you'll see a lot of the spinning kicks as much, only to the body. But outside of that, he's going to use his range and he's going to use his volume. And every time Alvarez tries to assert himself, he's going to rake him to the body and throw that straight left. And now he's got a jab, too. That's another problem for Alvarez. Alvarez is going to have to get into a range. He's going to have to get in and get out of range. Since McGregor's not just walking people down wildly anymore, he's going to have to work to get into that range. He's going to have to work to get out of that range without getting hit. I don't think Alvarez is defensively disciplined enough to do it all five rounds. He got caught by RDA. He got caught by Melendez. He got caught by Pettis. He got caught by Cerrone. And I think McGregor technically, physically, and strategically is a better striker than all three of those guys. So the mistakes he made versus those guys, those got him hurt, those got him beat. This one is going to get him finished. And I expect, fully expect McGregor to beat them inside of three rounds. So one of the things that McGregor said during the press conference yesterday was that Alvarez is getting chinny. Chinny is the word that he used. And for those who don't really know, chinny is a term that fighters use when guys, um, when their chins start to fade. You know, we saw it with... We saw it with fighters such as um, Anderson Silva, for example, Fedor um, in the past. We've seen it with guys all the time when guys who um, consistently take a lot of shots and then you see them getting knocked out by lighter and lighter. Not lighter, but you see them getting knocked out using that in quotation marks. My question is, is Alvarez getting to that point? Because if you think back to his first fight with uh, – Michael Chandler, you know, he was taking some shots then. He took some shots in the second fight. Um, he took some shots against Cerrone, against uh, Melendez. You know, he didn't take too many against Pettis. But are you concerned? Do you think Alvarez is uh, susceptible to being knocked out by McGregor? 
you know, obviously Connor said he's going to do it within one round, but do you see this fight ending like in a TKO fashion? Well, clearly he's, he's more susceptible. He doesn't fight with nearly the unabashed aggression or the volume he did in Bellator before he had the loss to Chandler. I've been telling people for years, that fight with Chandler cost Michael Chandler a couple years on his career, but Michael Chandler is young. It cost Eddie Alvarez years on his career, and Eddie Alvarez is towards the middle and the end of his career. And if you look at both guys carefully, neither guy fights like they used to fight after that second fight. Both guys, Eddie Alvarez used to get dragged into brawls, and he'd exchange, and he'd win a lot of those exchanges. It's harder to drag Eddie Alvarez into a brawl now because Eddie Alvarez knows while he can still dish out the punishment, he can't take it the way he used to. When he fought Gilbert Melendez, Melendez busted him up. Melendez was hurting him. Roney was walking him down. I haven't seen many fights where Eddie Alvarez was fighting a guy who was fighting in his weight class and getting walked down and pushed around by another fighter. You didn't see that before the Michael Chandler fight. That second fight, Chandler was putting hands on, really sharp and really mobile, and really used all his tools because he doesn't have the luxury of leaning on a chin or leaning on his ability to recover. So I understand what McGregor's saying, and McGregor's 100% right. Watch how Eddie Alvarez fought in Bellator, watch, and watch how he fought in that first Chandler fight, watch how he fought in the second Chandler fight, and watch how he fought since he's been in the UFC. He has changed up dramatically because he understands he just can't take the punishment he used to. And to be quite honest, he hasn't fought a big puncher in the UFC. Donald Cerrone's not a big puncher. He's a big kicker, but he's not really a big puncher. Most of his damage is done with knees and kicks. Melendez isn't a big puncher. Melendez didn't even come close to knocking out Diego Sanchez. And Melendez had him rocked and hurt on multiple occasions. Anthony Pettis didn't land that much, but when he landed on him, he made Alvarez step back. He made Alvarez slow down. And even when Artie fought Rafael Desanos, Desanos hurt him. He couldn't finish him. He couldn't land that finishing shot, but he hurt, he hurt Alvarez. And Alvarez just was able to return fire and hurt him back and then close the show. I haven't seen McGregor really just knocked around. And he's faced the biggest punchers in the division. He faced Aldo. Aldo's a bigger puncher than Alvarez. He faced Mendez. Mendez is a bigger puncher than Alvarez. So we don't have to worry about McGregor's chin. We have to worry about Alvarez. And I think the fight's going to end in a TKO fashion. When Alvarez slows down, and in my opinion, his, his, his approach that Darting in and darting out on angles, using the jabs, the fakes, the sidesteps, and the positioning, that takes a lot of energy. The minute he slows the step, that's when McGregor's going to close the show. And the show will be closed. I, I, I can almost guarantee you that. I, like I said, I don't, say, I don't see going more than three rounds. And if it does, I'll be shocked. I'll be impressed by Alvarez, and I'm an Alvarez fan. But I don't think it goes more than three rounds. And see, and I, I can agree with you on that because, um, you know, looking back to – the second fight against uh, he lost that one, but uh, this one I think this one's going to be tough, man. I, I I I'm interested in seeing how Alvarez plans on taking the fight, you know, because he talks about wrestling um, Conor McGregor down to the ground, and yeah, you know, that's all well and good, but is he just going to rush out there and try to score a takedown? against a fresh Conor McGregor, I think that's going to be tough. We've seen him be able to thwart takedowns in the past, I, and I wouldn't be surprised if his takedown defense has gotten better since the fight against Chad Mendez. So is he going to press him against, try to press him against the cage and try to wear him down that way through clinch? Because remember, McGregor's going to be the bigger man. So at least height-wise, he'll, he'll, he'll be the bigger man. Um, Alvarez definitely is a heavier lightweight. So I wonder what his strategy will be to control the range and control that pace 
in a way that causes McGregor to lose his gas tank, which is something that Alvarez keeps pointing at. He says that McGregor can't fight 25 minutes. Okay, no problem. I understand that. But what is his plan to cut into that 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 25 minute um, or less than gas tank that he keeps talking about? Can I when I can I point out one thing, Eddie Alvarez? Eddie Alvarez constantly says that McGregor can't go five rounds and he got beat up and he turned over and he quit. But when didn't Mark, my, I'm not sure about my memory, but when he fought Michael Chandler, didn't he end up gassing out? It might have gone longer, but didn't he gas out and end up getting submitted in the same similar way? And no, he got knocked out. Or, or wait, are you talking about Chan? No, um, Chandler knocked him out. Really? I thought I could have sworn he finished him and he tapped out. I, no, I, um. Let me let me let me look. Keep talking about that real quick. Yeah, I believe if I recall, um, that he tapped out, he tapped out to a submission. If I recall correctly, let I'm me not, let me I, check. Let me check. Let me check one second. Um, let me ask you a question while we're looking at that. The invitation yeah. that comes over for Google Hangouts. Where do you see that when I send that to you? Um, usually just uh pops up on the screen. To be honest, usually just pops up on your screen. Okay, because yeah. I'm trying to get I'm trying to get our interview in. He says he doesn't see it, but yes, you're right. When Michael Chandler defeated him in 2011, he did um, get submitted by rear naked choke. Yeah, he got right. he got tired and he got and he he got he got tired. He got beat up and he rolled over and gave him his back. So he's accusing Connor of doing the same thing, except Nate Diaz is a more accomplished fighter than than Chandler is, and and Connor wasn't prepared for him like Eddie Alvarez was prepared for Chandler. So he's saying this thing like like he's immune to this sort of thing. And the biggest problem for Eddie isn't going to even be Connor's power. It's going to be the sharpness of his strikes. He places them very well, and that footwork. Connor's very good at with his long stance. At that kind of quarter step in, quarter step out. He's easy to get in and land a shot, and he's very good at faking his faking with his footwork to draw out a response and then to counter off that. That's what he did with Aldo. Aldo saw him, Aldo saw him bouncing. He jumped in, jumped back a quarter step, and when Aldo threw the hook, he just countered him. He walked right into it. He baited him with his footwork. This is going to be the first time Eddie Alvarez won't have a huge, huge, huge footwork advantage over somebody. McGregor can fight in the pocket. He can fight at range. He can fight off the back foot. He can circle. He can dart in to dart out. So that advantage no longer exists for Eddie Alvarez. What's he going to do against a guy who's a bigger hitter, a stronger guy with a better chin, who can match his movement and match his pace? And has kept the movement and pace against superior athletes as well. That's the question Eddie Alvarez has to answer. Yeah, I can definitely agree with you on that. Um, so uh, there's there's so much more we can talk about on this card here. What about um, the current co-main event where you have Stephen Thompson challenging uh, for the welterweight title? What are your first thoughts on this fight? It's probably the best, one of the best fights you can have in the welterweight division. The first thing I keep thinking is that. Um, if the fight stays at range, the fight the fight will not stay at range. I don't care what Tyrone Woodley tells you. I don't care what his coaches tell you. There's no way he takes that fight and fights at range versus Stephen Thompson any more than he has to. If he's forced to fight in it, he's going to learn how to navigate that, work counters, and be defensively sound. But he doesn't want extended exchanges, extended time fighting at range with Stephen Thompson. It's a no-win proposition. Thompson's timing, his positioning, his accuracy – and his pattern recognition is light years ahead of Woodley in that area. So Woodley doesn't want that. Woodley's going to try to make it, try to use his athleticism, try to close on him, try to rough him up, try to beat him up. I'm not convinced that Woodley's going to try a lot for takedowns because takedowns take a lot of energy. And if you don't get him, 
you're usually getting punished on the way to trying to attempt those. And if you can't hold the guy down, you just use a huge burst of energy just for that guy to get back up and continue to put hands on you. So I don't think Woodley's going to continue to do that because Woodley's not a takedown machine. Woodley's not a control machine. I've seen lesser grapplers stuff his shot, get up from the shot, make him work very hard to get a clean takedown. So I think he's going to be having some problems. I think I think Wood presents a lot of problems across the board for him. So it, it's a very good fight. It should end by knockout. I can't. Woodley's not known for going five rounds, not five hard rounds. And I think Thompson actually has the advantage in cardio. Um, and has a advantage as far as the, the ways he can win the fight. I actually think he's got more to offer than Woodley in a lot of ways. Woodley wins by knockout, or he essentially if this out athlete. You improve the decision. This time he won't be clearly the better athlete, and this time he won't be clearly the better striker, and he won't have that huge advantage he has in 90% of the fights he goes into. And I think that's what's going to make the difference. But I'm interested to see. I'm interested to see how Tyrone Woodley approaches a guy who fights in a style that nobody else fights in, and somebody who is competent in the areas of MMA that Thompson is. Because he's no longer just a karate guy. He can defend takedowns, defend subs. He can take you down. He can fight you in the clinch. He can box a little bit. Like, he presents problems in a lot of different ways. I don't know who's favored against him individually. I thought Roy McDonald would be the one to beat him. And if Roy McDonald didn't do it, I'm not betting on anybody else. So, when, like the last time I can think of when Tyron Woodley went out to actually take a guy down and control him throughout the fight was when he defeated Paul Daly. Because, you know, a lot, of people were, a lot of people were thinking that Paul was going to go in there and, and, and knock, um, knock Woodley out. And definitely he has the power to kind of disconnect anyone from consciousness. Uh, I'm talking about Paul Daly. But Woodley was able to score takedowns and just basically controlled them for those three rounds, I believe it was. I don't know if Woodley's going to be able to use that same type of takedown technique to um, get Thompson down to the ground, because everyone's pointing to the to the Johnny Hendricks fight as, oh, Steven Thompson can, can defend the takedown and, and he can and he can control that position. I mean, he wasn't fighting the same Johnny Hendricks that was blowing guys away. He wasn't fighting the same Johnny Hendricks that fought Robbie Lawler the first time around. So I'm wondering if Woodley does, if he is going to purposely implement that type of game to score those takedowns because he hasn't done it in quite a while. So if he does that, will he be able to do enough to get the win? But then you brought up some great questions there. You know, he doesn't fight for 25 minutes. Um, and how is he going to limit that range early to get into position to score to, score that takedown? I think that those are some very valid questions that and valid concerns that Woodley should have coming into this fight. Yeah, Woodley is a smart guy, so I figure he's got to have some kind of game plan or some kind of approach. My question is, what exactly is it? Because he hasn't faced a guy with as much range in attack. Paul Daly is a dynamic striker. But he's not a hard guy to find. Defensively, he's not hard to hit. I've seen, I've seen guys like Scott Smith land on him. He's not a hard guy to hit. He's just crisp on his counters, crisp on his attacks, and he has such big, such heavy hands that essentially guys refuse to attack because they're afraid of what's coming back at them. They understand what's coming back at them, so they don't, they don't really open up against him. So my, my whole thing against fighting a guy like that, it's easier to get in his face with his stance, the way Woodley daily fights. Billy likes to approach guys. He likes to stay at a certain range. And sometimes he counters. A lot of times he likes to walk guys down and blow them out. 
Thompson isn't that stationary. Thompson moves, and he's got a, stand, a bladed stance that allows him to close and extend distance very well. And unlike the Thompson who got beat up by Matt Brown, this one's been working with Chris Weidman. This one where this guy's been working with top wrestlers in the nation and top wrestlers in the world, preparing himself because he knows nobody wants to stand with him. Nobody wants to stand with him. They'll stand with him in thought. But these guys don't really want to exchange with them. They don't really want to fight at range with them. So he knows what they're going to go do. So he's addressed that issue. And the best thing about it is even if Woodley gets him down, Woodley's not a submission guy. Woodley might try and ground and pound you, but he's not a submission guy. Wood, I mean, and people can tell me he's worked on a submission, he's training him, but you don't become a submission guy overnight. There's guys who are legitimate, good fighters in the in MMA who don't get submissions left and right. So you're going to tell me that now Tyron Woodley's going to be fitting somebody with an armbar or a rear naked choke or a guillotine? I don't think that's likely to happen. The only place that Woodley's a, a threat in is in regards to his athleticism and his power. Technically on the feet, I don't think he's really a threat, a consistent threat to Thompson. He might get to him because of the combination of his technique and his physical ability. But technically he's not really a threat. Wrestling's an area where he's probably superior but he's not a guy who just gets clean takedowns on everybody. When he fought Daly, he had to fight for some of those takedowns. It wasn't like he just put Daly on his butt every single time without any resistance. That didn't happen. And he didn't control Daly easily. He wasn't passing his guard and just pounding him into oblivion. He was stuck in his guard. He was struggling to get shots through. He was struggling to get out of his guard. He was struggling to get in better positions. And he got tired of that fight, too. Late in that fight, Daly was putting some things on him. Now, I don't think Daly did enough to win the fight, clearly. But Daly had his moments in that fight, and Daly's not the wrestler or, or the defensive or mobile fighter that Thompson is. I'm not saying that Thompson is guaranteed to win this fight, but it's very hard for me, anybody, anybody to come up with an argument that tells me that Woodley's going to win it. Like, you can tell me he could knock him out, but how's he going to knock him out? You know, what's he going to do to knock him down? How is he going to chop out his gas tank? How is he going to break him down? Explain it to me, because based on what I've seen, there shouldn't be any way that Woodley wins this fight outside of him just out-athleting out, out Thompson and overwhelming him with power and aggression. But that's his only way to win. And if Thompson isn't prepared for that, then Thompson and his team can done themselves a grave injustice. Grave injustice. So, yeah, definitely. Um, so I've, I've been thinking about this fight a lot lately because I listened to Tyron Woodley's interview on the MMA Hour this past Monday. And I understand why people have their issues with them. You know, I, I get it. You know, he's getting booed left and right. People are, um, there's commentary about, him, you know, him not being a real champion, not defending the belt. Same thing Conor McGregor hasn't done. I'd like to put that out there, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I get why people are upset with him. I get that. But listening to him talk, I definitely believe he has the opportunity to be the first, probably the first real crossover African-American MMA star because he has, if you don't know, he's from Ferguson, Missouri, which obviously is probably one of the most um, interesting places in the country right now, obviously, because of, of all the situation that has gone down since Mike Brown two years ago. So he's from that area. And he's from poverty. He's from, he's an individual who at one point in time could be stereotyped to represent everything that is wrong with quote-unquote urban America just because he's been through it. He's, he's from that poverty. And to see him pull himself up through wrestling, through collegiate wrestling, into the UFC, and reach this champion level, I believe he does have the opportunity to be that crossover star that other fighters has failed. You know, Quentin, Quentin Rampage failed at it. Rashad Evans failed at it. 
John Jones is failing at it. Demetrius Johnson isn't necessarily translating. Um, you know, like there aren't guys. The African American community isn't interested in MMA as much as they are in boxing because they don't have that individual that they can latch on to and say that's my guy. Um, I believe Tyron Willie could be that, and I I didn't think so much listening to him listening to him beforehand, but listening to him on speak to Ariel on Monday, talking about the history of sport, talking about why he believes, you know, fighters should respect their legacies and and the reason why he asked to fight Nick Diaz or GSP rather than fight Steven Thompson. He has all of this stuff laid out perfectly in his head. So listening to that, you know, I do want to see him win based off of that because I want to see if he can be that individual that gets my friends and my family interested in mixed martial arts because they have someone that they can point to and say, oh yeah, I want to see that guy fight. So yeah, on that accord, I would like to see him win on um, on at UFC 205, but I'm not sure if he's going to. Uh, what are your thoughts about that, Sean? Do you have anything to, to add to that? I actually think, I don't know that he'll be the guy, but I, like, I, like, a lot of people only know Tyron in his interviews. Like, I know people who know him. Like, not kind of know him, not sort of know him. Like, they really spend time with him. They really chopped it up with him. They really know his perspective on things. And the thing that made Tyron different than most MMA fighters, and I've said this before, he's a professional. The reason he's in this spot is because he's a professional. He made weight. He repaired himself. He showed some patience and self-control instead of being emotional and wanting to get out there and fight for the fans and wanted to prove a point, he had a game plan and he implemented it. He took an educated risk and it, and it panned out for him. And unlike other MMA fighters who just want to fight and they don't want to talk to people and they don't want to express their point of view and they don't want to share what they think and their perspective on issues and topics in themselves, he made it a point to open himself up. The thing is, most people don't really like, don't really care about what he has to say. That's why they're so shocked and they're doing that. Anybody who's listened to any Tyrone Tyron Woodley interview, or anybody who knows somebody who knows him, knows that he's always had this stance when it comes to MMA. It is a business. It's a profession. He's going to carry himself in a business-like, professional manner and try to expand his brand, expand his bank account, create a legacy for himself, and create some security for his wife and his children. He has said this from day one, and I don't understand how anybody who's ever listened to an interview doesn't know this. Like, all these guys are hating because he has a title. They would hate him if he didn't have a title. He has a title, and that's why he's getting all this attention. He's saying the same stuff he said for years. So I think I actually think he's going to be the guy who might. He could be the guy who makes that crossover star, or he might be the guy who sets, who, who kind of opens the floodgate and creates the path for the guy who's going to be the big star. You know, like same thing they had Arnold Palmer. Arnold Palmer wasn't the biggest name. He wasn't the biggest star in a sense. He was the guy who created the opportunity. He created the launching pad for guys like Tiger and guys like uh, man, I can't forget the other guy. It's slipping my mind right now. But he's the one who, he's the one who set those guys up. And Tyron Woodley's actually a fighter who's not playing a character or playing a caricature or playing up certain at certain aspects and certain angles. I hate to say that some that some fighters are taking on, whether it's black or white. Everybody has little sticks. Tyron Woodley kinda just shoots you straight. He just tells you what he thinks, he tells you how he feels, and people will, people respect that authenticity because he he never veers from it. He's never trying to be hood, he's never trying to be I'm a warrior. I would do this for free. He's never tried to be a party guy. He's just like, I'm a guy who wants to compete. I'm a guy who wants to win. I'm a guy who wants to take care of my family. I'm a guy who wants to make a name for himself and have a career for himself after the sport. What he's always said is what he's always done. He stayed true to that. And if he continues to do that, he's going to have fans. He, he's going to have some 
longevity in his career outside of him. He already does. I mean, he's been in movies. He's been in movies. He had a, like, I told everybody now, we're watching a Straight Outta Compton. Hey, that's the UFC welterweight champion. What's he doing in Straight Outta Compton? He acts too. You know, he, he's got other irons in the fire. He's not defined by MMA. MMA is a competition game. It's something that he does. It's not who he is and what he's about. It, what he's about, like, where he loses himself in so I, I think Tyron Woodley sets a good example for any fighter of any race. And I, I don't know that he's going to be that star. I don't know that he's charismatic enough. I'm not saying he's not. I just don't know that he is. But he might be the guy who sets that, who sets that bar, who, who opens up that pathway, because he's been the best overall representation as a fighter that I've seen. He hasn't gotten anything embarrassing, any sort of messy MMA breakups with his gym or set of gamma. He always keeps professional. He always keeps direct. He always keeps clearly. And he always presents himself in a way that he finds appealing, not that appeals to any other demographic he's doing himself. And that's the main secret to being successful on, on any level, just being genuine, and he's done that. And I think a lot of fighters coming up are going to follow his lead and start looking for money fights and start planning out their moves a little bit more strategically and start looking for avenues to solidify their presence in MMA outside of just being a fighter. Like, use this opportunity to build something more. If you notice, a lot of fighters are starting to follow what Tyron Woodley's saying now. A lot of guys didn't do it before, but now guys are starting to try to pick their shots and try to say, I'm going to sit out and I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that because I understand the risk of this career and what I need to do to maximize my earning potential and, and, and my longevity and my health moving forward. So I think he's already evoked the change. I don't know that he's going to be the guy who's that breakout star, though. I, I just don't know that. But it'd be nice if he was. He's a good representation of He's a good representation of a person who's being genuine and a person who's about business and a person who understands the difference between, you know, business, fun, and um, being a family guy and being a guy who's living a life style that isn't very kind to people who have family. Man, that's awesome. That's, that's, that's some good insight there. And um, I definitely appreciate that. You know, we're, we're at an interesting time in the sport where that is becoming a bigger and bigger point in what makes a fighter a star as opposed to someone who is quote unquote just a fighter so yeah it will be interesting to see what happens with um tyron woodley and what happens after ufc 205 so let's um man we're only two fights in on this card too so let's talk about the next one um which is another title bout between uh carolina kowaskowicz and uh joanna jacek um I think this is going to be a great fight. It's a great fight for European competitors because it's two undefeated Polish women, which I think is, I hope it's something that's not lost as we promote this fight. When Joanna was introduced at the press conference, she got a, a, a pretty good cheer. Um, I mean, one that rivaled Chris Wybin and Frankie Edgar. So people are aware of who she is, and she is definitely a grown star um, in the sport. I, I'm looking forward to this about... Um, I think Jujacek takes it. I think just because she's such, she's such a volume, violent volume striker. That's something that a lot of people. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna coin that that term. There's volume strikers. There's violent strikers, and then she's gonna be the first one that I'm gonna call a violent volume striker. And that's someone who continually, the fourth, fifth round is continuously putting it on you. We saw that at when she fought um, Claudia. Gadelia a few months back when it's the fourth and fifth round and she's winning 10 eights, not because she's knocking someone down, because she's just beating the brakes off of them. So talk to me uh, about that fight there. Do you see Jujetek keeping her title and, and continuing to submit herself as possibly the best woman um, on the UFC uh, roster or are we sleeping 
on Kawaskaris and what she may be able to do? Well, first of all, Joanna's been the best woman on the roster for quite a while now. I, 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 I'm just, just going to keep this short. I never believed, I never believed in the hype of Ronda Rousey. I, I, I saw her what it was. I appreciate what she did. She was talented. She's tough. But she, w- she wasn't a better fighter than Joanna from, from day one. They were both in the UFC. She just wasn't a better fighter. Sorry. And same thing with home. I, I knew that too. But um, I, the reason I don't think Joanna loses her title is because she has, once again, it comes down to variation. Um, Carolina has pretty much one area she's really super strong, and that's the clinch. She'll walk through fire to get to you. Once she gets her hands on you, she's going to manipulate you. She's going to position you. She's going to lay on you, put her body on you, wear you down, and then she's going to start chopping you up with short shots, elbows, punches in the body, punches in the face. But outside of that clinch range, she's not much of a threat. I mean, Carolina is supposed to be somewhat of a very high-class striker. She's competed at a very high level. Rose Namajunas isn't a tenured striker as far as competing at a world-class level or a very high-class level. But Rose Namajunas essentially was outboxing her with good footwork and a steady jab. The only reason she lost that fight is because she was unable to maintain the distance necessary to get that jab off and to pivot out to angle in, to angle out. She got caught up in a in a fight, in a clinch fight, because she couldn't control Carolina in the clinch. She couldn't get a quick takedown, so she allowed Carolina to get her hands on her, get control of the clinch, and essentially walk her down and chop her up. The thing about Joanna is Joanna's an all-round striker. She could fight in the clinch. We saw against Claudia, she's defending takedowns. She's grappling with her. She's pushing back and forth. She's landing short knees. She's landing short uppercuts. She's landing short hooks. We've seen her at range, mid-range. She's got that jab. When she has a jab going, her jab is 90% of the fighters in the UFC don't have the footwork or the defensive awareness to get past her jab. Carolina is no different. Her jab is much better than Namajunas' jab. Her follow-up offense off of the jab is much better than Namajunas' offense off the jab. And her power is better. And then when it gets to long range, once again, it's the same issue. She's got more variation, and she's got more power, and she can keep her pace longer than anybody else in the division. So my question is, if Carolina enforce it in the range she wants it to, she can have success. But the thing is, she's not going to overwhelm Joanna in the clinch. She's not going to run her over. She might be better than her, but she's not that much better than her. Whereas the advantages Carolina has in mid-range, and I mean, excuse me, the advantages Joanna has in mid-range and long-range are dramatically. When it comes to long-range, Carolina's not messing with it. Because of mid-range, Carolina can't compete with her. But Joanna can keep compete with Carolina in her best range. Carolina cannot compete with Joanna in her best ranges. And the fact, and my other fact is, we've seen what happens to Joanna when somebody puts her in the back spot, somebody takes her down, somebody rocks her in the first round, and she rocks the first two rounds. We've seen her have to come back and have to turn on the jet, turn on the volume, and turn on the viciousness for three straight rounds to keep her title. We've seen her have to dig herself out of a hole. We've seen her have to fight girls who don't go away after the first couple shots. We've seen her have to fight girls who got size and skill advantage over her. We know what's going to happen when someone pushes back against her. Nobody really knows what Carolina's going to do if somebody doesn't concede to her when she gets her hands on her. And when you've never had that pushback in this environment, you don't know what that, what's going to happen. You don't know how that person's going to react. I know what Joanna's going to do when it gets tough. Carolina's going to do when it gets tough. Because nobody's had to discipline to stick to the game plan long enough to expose the holes over the over the length of the fight. That's why they've gotten beaten by her. 
Joanna has a toughness, the physicality, and the athleticism to do everything they wrote down the unit on the field and more. But she's got that mean streak, and she's got the power to play in it. I don't think she ends it, but I think it's similar to the Claudia Gadelia fight. She might lose a round or two, but when she turns it on, it's like moving her feet, it's like pivoting, working in and working out behind the jab, it's over. And it's only going to be difficult if she makes it difficult. If she goes up there trying to be slick right away and putting volume, putting her shots together, it'll be an easy fight. If she decides she's going to come out flat-footed and let Carolina get her shot in, get her shot in, get her chance to win the fight, then it becomes competitive. But she could have made that. She could have made. She could make that fight easy. Just like she could have made the Claudia fight easy. She came out and decided to fight in an, un, in my opinion, in an unintelligent manner, and the opportunity she had to win the fight. When she started getting on her toes, when she started getting a jab, when she started using that counter hook, pivoting. From that point on, it was all downhill. When she just came right out trying to assert herself, taking down, drop, taking down, drop, beat up, pushed around, taking down. So it depends, it depends on how she wants to do. She's almost like the love in the case, but she makes fights more difficult than they have to be, and it allows her opponents to put work in. But I'm going to go with Joanna. I think she's a better athlete. I think she's the most diverse striker. And as far as what I've seen from her, I think she is the girl who I, I, I know what to expect when she gets in a tough fight. I know what to expect when she gets pushed in MMA. It's one thing to do it in kickboxing, one thing to do it in boxing. One thing to do it in MMA, and I've seen Joanna do it in MMA repeatedly. I don't know what she's going to do when it gets this. So let's, let, let me ask you this then. Women's strawweight, I think it's a deep division. It's a dangerous division. Um, and I think that Joanna has the ability to kind of reign over that one the same way Rousey did for an extended period of time. Does she have what it takes? I'm talking about from a business side of it, like a personality side, to become a major star. I think she's headed in the right direction. I think she's doing a lot of the right things. But how high is her ceiling outside of the cage? I think she really has a high ceiling. She, and, and I know this is going to sound sexy, and everybody's going to say, why you got to bring this to it? But think about the really big stars in any sport, combat or otherwise, they have some sort of appeal to the opposite sex. Peyton Manning might not be the best-looking person to some people, but he appeals to a lot of women. Tom Brady, Oscar De La Hoya. Let's let's just be honest about this, not and not bring sexism into it. I mean, it might it's an aspect of sexism. I get it, but it's on equal sides. If you're a better-looking person with a better-looking image, Tunis, sorry, it's the truth. Ask Sarah Kaufman. There's a reason she didn't get to fight me to Tate and Ronda Rousey. Got to jump right in there. And it's not because Ronda Rousey is a more accomplished fighter at this point. Because there were two attractive girls who were going to be fighting and grappling in multiple positions. Sorry, it's true. Nobody wants to admit it. I'm going to say it. Joanna is actually an attractive young lady. She has, a, she has a personality. She has some sort of energy about her. She's not be on the fake positivity trip. She knows how to play the game. She's almost, she has a certain amount of Conor McGregor in her and that she'll challenge people. She has answers that she's going to pull. He says the things that fans want to hear. Fans don't want to hear, well, we're all sisters and I'm going to go out there and give my, do my best and give my best. They want to hear that you're going to walk through this shit, that you're going to take this chick out, that she's going to pay for everything she said until you, you're going to break her jaw so she won't be able to talk anymore fast. She knows how to play the game. She knows how to appeal to multiple at demographics on multiple levels as a fighter, as a woman. This is isn't a human being. She has interest. She has a shoe fetish. Not like a high heel shoe fetish that I know of. Fetish. How many dudes can relate to that? How many dudes can relate to somebody spending all their money having the freshest kick? 
a ton of guys can relate to that. Just like a ton of guys can relate to a girl or a person who's the baddest person in their weight division in the world. You know, she, she actually, I think, is a more natural speaker and natural, I guess, character as far as her interaction with people than Ronda Rousey is. I think Ronda Rousey had to be handled a lot. Conor McGregor doesn't know, doesn't have to be handled. He knows how to adjust. He knows how to play to the crowd. He knows how to get reactions. I don't know that Ronda knows how to do that. I think a lot of people have to kind of keep her out of certain situations. So she, she didn't create opportunities to get herself in trouble. Holly Holm isn't that type of person. Juana's, in my opinion, been the, the biggest star the UFC has created as a woman since she's come in because she created her own buzz. Ronda had a huge buzz coming out. She's an Olympic athlete. She's this, she's that. Juana comes from kickboxing. Nobody cares about kickboxing. Kickboxing isn't popular, and yet she's turned herself it's one of the biggest draws in the UFC. One of the people that everybody wants to talk to, everybody wants to hear what she has to say, everybody wants to see it the way in, and everybody wants to see fight. And she did that on her own. She didn't have Olympics behind her. She didn't have another organization pushing her to the forefront. She didn't have Dana White making a whole division just for her. She wasn't even supposed to be a star in the division. She came in and carved out her own niche and went through every single body put in front of her to earn her position. So in a sense, she's already better than Ronda Rousey and better than Holly Holm and better than the majority of women in her division too because she's she created her own spot. She, nobody knew who she was really before. Who was really talking about her? I even, I heard about Michelle Watterson. I even heard about Paige Van Zandt. I heard about the girls in the Tough House. Nobody was really talking about Joanna before she came in and put a stamp on people and started winning fights and winning titles. That's when she became a star. So she created her own star. So I think she has a very high feeling because she's just getting started. People are just now starting to pay attention, and people are just realizing that the Fellway division is much better across the board than the Bantamweight division. It's more competitive, and the fact that she has a more competitive division with, with bigger stars in her division just lends itself to her star power. If she would have been fighting Rose Namajunas in, um, in New York this time, it would have been a much bigger fight, since Namajunas is a much bigger personality with a much bigger fan base. But as it stands, she's with Carolina, but she, Carolina got... The A side of this fight is going to be Juana. She's going to be the star of the fight. She just needs maybe a help from a bigger name to help push her over that edge where she goes from MMA star to superstar. And I don't think Carolina's the girl to do it, but this is a good platform. And if she puts on an impressive fight, as she always does, people will be talking about her when it comes to the fight. When she had her defense against Claudia, people were talking about that fight. They were talking about UFC 200. You see 200, no fight on the car was as good as the. Claudia, Claudia, Joanna rematch. No fight that week, no fight that month was as good as that fight. And people were talking about that for the next two, three weeks. Best fight in May almost this year, maybe fight of the year. So all she's got to do is do what she always does. And she has a platform in the biggest city, on the biggest stage in front of everybody. It's, I do think for her to really break that mold, she's going to have to have somebody who draws as much eyes as her, like a Rose Namajunas. She fights Rose Namajunas going to put everything behind because there's two people who have star potential. And uh, I don't think Carolina really does. It's funny that you said that because when I first looked at the women's strawweight division, I thought that Claudelia was going to be that woman. I thought she was going to be the one um, I thought she was going to be the one that, you know, dominated that uh, that, that, that division and it just didn't happen. So I never thought that. I thought she had potential. I thought she could compete in it because she's athletic. She's very strong. She has a good camp. 
but I always thought she was a little bit too one-dimensional, and I was always concerned about her inability to fight fight hard rounds. Like, when she can dominate, she can fight hard, but even when she's dominating, she gets tired. It seems, it seems like a lot of certain types of female fighters get tired really quick, and that's a big issue. No matter how good you are, if I know that after a round and a half, your, your production, your effort, and your toughness is going to fall, not just not just recede a little bit, literally fall off a cliff. All I got to do is make it through those first, first, that round and a half or first two rounds. And I know that you're done. And that's always been the case with her. I've never been impressed with her ability to push hard. And that's always a big issue in any sport. If you can't consistently push hard, I'm always going to be, have some doubt as far, how far you can go and who you're going to be in division or, or in that sport. And she's always had that hole in her game. She's always had it. And she's kind of one-dimensional too. So um, I never thought that about her. I, I, to be quite honest, when I saw Joanna, I thought that's going to be the future of the division. I wasn't really impressed with a whole lot of girls in the house outside of Nama Yunus. So those two are the people I thought, maybe Michelle Watterson too would be three people I think would reign over the division in strawweight. So yeah, I mean, we even, we had that fight, you know, so like, and we're still not even halfway through uh, UFC 205. I mean, like, like, let's just glance over the rest of the card, man. We have Chris Weidman, Yoel, Yoel Romero, Khabib Namagomedov, and Michael Johnson. That fight just got added, uh, I think, today or yesterday. We have Frankie Edgar, Jeremy Stevens, Kelvin Gastelum, Donald Cerrone. We have Rashad Evans, Tim Kennedy, Misha Tate, Raquel Pennington. We That's have people are sleeping on that one. With the uh, Misha Tate and Raquel Pennington fight, yeah, I think a lot of people are sleeping on that fight. Cause that that one's going to be this is going to remind me a lot of like that Julie Ketsy fight that um, Misha Tate had a couple years back, yes. where it was just ugly, but it was like crazy tough. Yes. When I first saw that fight announced, that's what it kind of reminded me of. Um, they're, not, they're not doing her any favors. They 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 must not nope. like because all they, they do is give her tennis. They must hate her. They're not they giving her any them. easy outs. Any easy. Then we got um, Thiago Alves, who I don't understand. Thiago Alves is going to make 55 when this man almost couldn't make couldn't make 70 consistent consistently. So I mean, yeah, he started working with Mike uh, Mike Dolce and all that, but he was struggling to make weight then. So how is he going to get down to 55? I think that's the biggest part of that story that people really aren't talking about. But he's fighting Jim Miller, which is not an easy fight to welcome you to the lightweight um, division at all. So you, we still have that. We have Liz Carmouche and Caitlin Truk again, which is not, which is another tough and dirty fight. We got Rafael Natal and Tim Bosch. We got um, Bilal Muhammad and Lyman Good. And this card, when you look at, when you listen to that top to bottom, is this going to be the best card of 2016? I don't see how, if, ever, if everything stays the way it is now, if... <laughs> It'll be the best card because you know how MMA is with injuries. If the card stays together, it'll be the best card from the UFC's produced probably might might be ever because these are all legitimate important fights. All these guys are either are up and comers or guys with rank who have a high position who are fighting each other, jockeying for title shots or higher positions, and it's it's good good matchmaking. It's good technical questions in each fight. Even the fights I say I believe there's a favorite in and there's no doubt that person's going to win there's still ways for the other guy to win there's still interesting talking points for both people and that's not always the case in every card they have not it's not in even their main events much less all the way down to their fight pass prelim fight every single fight is competitive 
you know, regardless of my personal view on it, every every single fight on a strategical and technical level is very competitive. I mean, you have 13 fights and 13 former or current champions you have on this card. You're on a prelim. How do you figure that? That's, yeah. When's that's the last time he's been on a prelim? Like, I didn't even think, man, when is the last time Frankie Edgar has been on a preliminary fight? Exactly. I mean, Frank, I mean, Frankie must really want to fight on this car to be on a prelim for the Madison Square. He must really want to be in Madison Square Garden because I don't know too many former champions who are like, yeah, I'm going to be. I mean, you had Lorenz Larkin complaining he's on a fight pass. Frankie Edgar is on a damn prelim. Frankie Edgar. I mean, he may not be a huge outside superstar, but his name carries some weight in MMA. And he wants to be on this car so bad they're putting him on a prelim. Man, the last time, the last time he's been on a, I'm saying on on a preliminary fight. Preliminary fight. The last time was the Ultimate Fighter finale ten, and this wasn't even really a preliminary fight. It was still a main card fight, but he. This is just, I want to call it a, like a minor card where he fought Matt Veach. And that was in 2009. Yeah. Other than that, he's been in the main event of a numbered event, of a numbered pay-per-view, or the main event on two fight nights. Yep, when he defeated Cub Swanson and Uriah Faber yeah. last year, last year uh, 2014 and 2015, yeah. Yep. It's, it's, That's mean, crazy. Yeah, you got people jockeying to be on this card just because they want to be a part of history. I'm assuming they think there's going to be some kind of financial benefit to that because I, I get being part of history, but um, like I said, fighters, I hope that you're thinking about how this is going to affect your bottom line when you're fighting for a place on this on this card. When you look at it, I mean, there's um, – let me – I'm just – going off of what, what is understood as, like, their last contract, I believe that – well, let me see. So one, two, three, four, five – Six, seven, maybe eight, nine. Nine of these fighters may get points, pay-per-view points as well. So even if they're on the card, they get points off of the pay-per-view buys. So that, I mean, yeah, it, it is a good business decision to be on this card regardless of the fact. But, man, I'm, I'm going to – I cannot wait until we see the disclosed paydays after UFC 205. I think we're going to see some interesting numbers. I hope so. I mean, I, I, like I, said, this, I said this last week. Fighters like regular people, if, if you have a job or, or a career that you went to college for and doesn't pay, I can't feel sorry for you because this, you're doing what you want. That, that's, doing what you want is a reward in itself. Following your dream is a reward in itself. So if you're not getting the money you want, then you might have to do what the rest of us do when we can't follow our dreams or when our dreams don't pay the bills and work real jobs. But that doesn't mean I don't want to see fighters get paid. I just don't have that, you know, oh, it's so unfair. I know teachers who don't get paid very good money. I know people who take care of elderly people who get paid crap money. I feel bad for them. They're doing something that I'm not saying fighting's not important, but taking care of someone's mom or grandma or a mentally challenged child is a little bit more important and they're not getting paid. They have a legitimate gripe. Right. They're doing something that takes a lot and demands a lot of them and they're not getting paid or appreciated either. They don't get points for that either. So I want to see fighters get paid, but I'm not one of the people who I'm so out of touch in real life that I don't understand that people who do real things who aren't getting paid too. I want to see them get paid before. Yeah, I'm definitely with you on that. So we're sitting here and we're talking about UFC 205 heavily, you know, talking about this event, which 
it is a major, major event. But we have a big fight card. This is not a big fight card, but some important fights going down this weekend when John Lineker and John Dodson fight at UFC Fight Night 95. I think that's the right number. I'm losing count. I believe that's the right number. Um, talk to me about that, man, because when I look at this fight, I read. I was reading a pretty interesting um, preview breakdown earlier today where they picked Lineker winning by a uh, third-round TKO, and I'm not sure if I totally agree with that. I, I get their point, but um, I think come... Third, I'm, I'm interested in seeing what type of gas tank Lineker has in the third and fourth round. I think Dodson has very great, he has fantastic footwork to get into a prime position to strike and move out of the way. So I, I'm, I'm interested in seeing if that's something that goes down or if this fight does end early, if, if, it, if it's prone to being a Lineker victory. Because don't forget, Dodson can throw some heat too. So Talk to me about this fight. Who do you see coming out with the victory when we see Dodson and Lineker get into the cage on Saturday? Dodson has the same problem that Anthony Pettis has. It's never a matter of actual huge huge hole in skill or a huge hole in athleticism. It he has no sense of urgency. And he can't he never fights the hard three rounds. He never fights the hard five rounds. He has the skill set and the physical attributes to essentially make every single fight he's in easy. And for some reason, he is determined to make them difficult by doing nothing. He'll have fights where he'll just put a five-punch combination. Somebody who has somebody reeling across, flying all across. You clearly see the advantages in explosiveness and power and strength and, and dynamic ability. And then he just won't do anything. He'll just stare. He'll just run around. He'll just take someone down and hold them in position. He'll just let somebody hold them against the cage. And I, under, I understand some of these, these fighters are skilled fighters, they're talented, and they're not just letting anybody do something to them. But Dodson is a is is a beyond an A plus athlete. That dude is a that dude is fast for the uh, I forgot the division. The uh, what is it? Featherweight, flyweight division? He was in flyweight division. division. Yeah, he this is a bantamweight division fight now. Yeah. He's fast for flyweights. Flyweights aren't as fast as John Dodson is. They don't have his first step. If, if you had to compare it, it's like Allen Iverson's first step. Nobody can keep up with it. The difference is Allen Iverson keeps pouring it on you and wears you down and breaks you. And John Dodson, first of brilliant athleticism and technique, and then he will do nothing. He will do nothing. He won't make an adjustment. He will fight with urgency. And it's not just offensively, defensively, he starts doing nothing too. So then guys who start chipping away at him and beating him up, and he's, and he's hanging in there, and he's not getting submitted, but he's clearly getting outworked, and it happened. It happened in the first fight with Tom Johnson. He had him rock, he's beating him around, he, you know, was hanging there. Eventually, Dodson slowed down, and when Johnson came on, Dodson just essentially, in my opinion, he checked out of the fight. I'm not saying he quit. But he was no longer actively trying to win the fight. He'd throw a big shot here and there. He'd keep his guard up. He'd move around. But there, where was the fire? Where was the sense of urgency? He won the first two rounds. The guy wins his last two rounds. He took the last two rounds off. How are you not coming out guns blazing to try and win this fight? And he didn't do it. It's not me saying this. It's watching the tape. If, if Dodson wants to win this fight, he's got the athleticism and the movement and the hand speed and foot speed and power you stay on the outside, dart in an angle, dart out an angle, you know, use a jab, counter to the body, walk, 
Wonka Lineker into all sorts of kind of shots, get in, get out, and quick takedowns to get him down to score points and disrupt his stand-up offense and get back out, take him down again, get back out. He can do all that stuff. But the thing about it is there's two things you never know about John Dobson. One, is he going to fight hard all fight long? And two, is he going to fight smart all fight long? I've never seen him do either unless the fight ends in like a round and a half. After that, his his cage IQ and his effort, it's hit or miss. He'll give you, give you that for about 30 seconds and give you four and a half minutes of nothing. The fight's super smart for a minute and then just make the most ridiculous maneuvers and counters you can imagine. And that's always been his downfall. He's the kind of athlete who, who should be a champion based on just athleticism alone. And he's got a good team. And I think his team tells him what he needs to do, and I think he doesn't execute. That's just my opinion. I don't know this. It's just what I see. He's been in a bunch of fights that he should have dominated, or he could have crushed guys in, and he beats out on them. He could have been the flyweight champion. And the only reason he's not is because he checked out in a fight. I know that Johnson made adjustments. I know that he started getting them in the clinch and working for the body. But if you've been, if you have a good team and you've watched film, you know what he's going to do. How did you not have a counter? How do you not have a two-round? How do you have a two-round cushion and then lose the fight on point? You get swept in the last three rounds. How do you do that? It, 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 I mean, it, that is, that is, those, are, those are some good points there. Those are definitely some good points, and I, and I think it's it's interesting to see if Dotson because the thing is. I think that Dotson is, is starting to pace himself in these big fights. Because if you look at how he fought uh, Demetrius Johnson the second time, he paced himself in a way that he paced himself out of the fight. You know, like he he looked like he just couldn't get started at any point in time. So I'm interested to see if Lineker, who is also who's very patient. If you looked at the way he fought Michael McDonald, he was extremely patient. So he got to the point where he was able to land that um, land that shot that put him down. So it's interesting to see. I'm going to be interested in seeing what type of fight this is because I, I'm, I don't think it's going to be as much of a barn burner from the start that people think it will be. Um, it's not going to be like when Lineker fought Francisco Rivera and they were both just in there chucking bombs at each other. It's not going to be like that. Um, and I think it's going to be more of a, of a controlled, tempered type pace early with the potential of someone getting put out late. I, I, I can see that, but the thing about it is, and and, and I, I'm not speaking, I'm not a fighter. Once again, I always say this so that people don't think I'm trying to down fighters. I'm just going from my experience in sparring. I'm a person who likes to control pace with movement, jab, paint, angles, kind of bait people in, which is what, which what Dodson would have to be doing to fight this. But that takes energy, because especially with a guy who's, who's looking for contact. Lineker isn't afraid of getting hit. He's looking for a shinger. He, he's trying to force a shinger. And the worst part for Dodson yet is Winokur will attack the body. When somebody's throwing hundreds of the body and somebody's walking you down and somebody's staying on you, he might. Winokur isn't wild with his, his pressure and his aggression. He, he gets wild at points, but initially he tries to apply a lot of aggression, but it's deliberate aggression. Dodson's not going to hit him and make him just get scared and back off. He's not going to hit him with a big shot and have Lineker holster his gun. He hit Lineker with a big shot. Lineker's coming right back with two or three. Lineker's going to attack the body. Lineker's going to try to press him. Lineker's going to try to get Dawson 
to overextend himself so that he can land kind of shots on him. That's all I did with Michael McDonald. He walked McDonald down. McDonald couldn't pivot. McDonald couldn't hit an angle. McDonald wouldn't tie him up. McDonald couldn't use a drag. He just kept stayed in his face. And eventually, McDonald decided I have to sit down on sit down on my sit down in my stance, and I'm going to exchange with him. I'm going to get his respect so I can get the space, or I'm going to put him out. When he sat down in exchange, he lost, and he couldn't recover. And his athletic adoption is, I don't know that he has the cardio or the defensive awareness to fight that fight, to fight that fight one, two rounds, especially with a guy who's going to be consistently chasing you. Lenny throws a lot of punches. Lenny throws punches when he's tired, he throws them when he's hurt, he throws them when he's not hurt, he throws them when he's angry, he throws them when he's sad. He throws punches when it's a good day, he throws punches when it's a bad day. He's going to force you to fight. And if, if Dawson's whole game plan is to just to just control the pace and pace himself, I don't know that he hits hard enough to do that, and I don't know that he's defensively responsible or has good enough conditioning to do that. That takes a lot of energy. That's Floyd Mayweather, I'm going to hit you and not get hit and roll with shots and flip shots and counter shots. It looks like somebody's running, but it's not, and it takes a lot of work to do that. And once again, will Dawson do that for three, five rounds, however long it is, and B, can Dawson cardio hold up for him to do that for three or five or however many rounds it is for him to win that fight. It hasn't done it yet against lesser fighters, so I don't know why all of a sudden I, I'm going to believe that he's going to do it against pretty much the most vicious and mean streaks fighter he's faced and the guy who kind of sets the highest pace and looks for the most contact. Nobody looks for contact like Lineker. Nobody throws like Lineker. Nobody's trying to savagely end you like Lineker. He wants to punish you. He wants to hurt you. Now, Dawson has the skills to do what you're saying. I don't know if he can do it all around long. Like you said, maybe he'll stay late, but usually it takes like about a round and a half. And I think if Lineker catches him early, Dawson's going to bite down and start swinging back. And that's, that's going to be what causes him to lose the fight. Not a lack of skill, not a lack of ability, a lack of cardio, and a lack of in-cage adjustment, in-cage intelligence. Some good breakdown there, sir. Some very great breakdown. There's another big fight on this card, too, that I'm looking forward to. Um, when Will Brooks faces, uh, I can't remember the guy's first name. Give me a second. Will Brooks and Oliveira. Uh, what's the guy's first name? Oh, man. Uh, it's not Charles Oliveira. It's, uh... is, it? is it? Is it? I think it's the other Charles Oliveira. Other two? Yeah, there's there's the Doe Bronx. And then there's the other cowboy. Oh yeah, 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 cowboy. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know, his name, but <laughs> I, I know who you're speaking of. Yeah, that that should actually be um, that. That's actually that's a good fight. It's not a great one, but it's a good one. What is, uh, Alex Oliveira? That's his name. Alex, Alex, Alex. We oh, I forgot there. What do you think about this fight? There is is Will Brooks someone who's going to grow into a lightweight um, lightweight contender? Or you remember he. Everyone's talking about um, everyone's talking about Eddie Alvarez as the UFC champion, but remember, Will Brooks beat Michael Chandler twice thoroughly. So, should, is he someone that we're kind of forgetting about in this conversation? Uh, Brooks, I like Brooks. He's he's gotten a little bit better about fighting complete fights instead of length, depending on his athleticism, his size. He used to muscle an athlete his way through fights, and that that doesn't last when you're fighting top-end athletes and people who are used to fighting top-end athletes, they're accustomed to that. So you can't get away with that as much in the UFC as you did in Bellator. Bellator, when he was just refining his skills, 
he'd do some basic stuff and basically cruise and fight. He even against Ross Pearson, he was in spots where he had trouble. Um, Oliver can't grapple. That's his main issue. He's a dynamic striker. He's got power. He's got athleticism, but he can't grapple. And Brooks is a big, strong, physical guy who can tie you up in a clinch and take you down and control you and work you over. The biggest hole for Brooks, and I've been saying this for years, and I've said this to people who know him, and I've said this to people who train with him. In my opinion, his defense is awful. His defense on the feet is just terrible. So Oliveira's going to have his moments where he can land on him because, once again, Brooks isn't a world-class wrestler. He doesn't just manhandle people and finish people left and right with clean, explosive takedowns and just control people non-stop. I think you can get up from Brooks. I think you can get Brooks off of you. I think you can defend some of his shots. But Oliveira, and Brooks isn't a great submission guy either, so it's not like you have to worry about getting finished when, when you force these huge scrambles. But Oliveira's gra- defensive grappling isn't it, it's negligible at best. He's not a threat to finish, in my opinion. He's not a threat to control you in a guard. So I think Brooks should be able to basically get him in, get inside on him, tie him up, get him down, and just pepper him and uh, rinse and repeat. There's going to be some rough spots. There should be, because in every Brooks fight, there is against a guy who got some athleticism to size and can kind of can keep from being manhandled by him. So he's going to have spots where he's going going to be in danger but Brooks should win this and he should win it going away and after this they're going to have to put him in with like a top 15 top 12 type guy because these type these kind of guys are kind of he's fighting the same kind of guy one no guys guys who don't have a lot of dimensions to their fighting and aren't necessarily aren't necessarily the most I don't know aren't the most they just they just don't have a lot of volume they don't have a lot of nuance to their game they have nuance in key areas but they don't have it all around and to fight a guy like Brooks with his athleticism and his overall skill set, you have to have a balanced skill set yourself to really test them and really push them and make them uncomfortable. Pearson didn't have it, and Oliveira doesn't have it either. He's either going to knock him out, or he's going to get taken down and beat up and finish himself. It's really the only two ways the fight is going to go. If this gets submitted by Oliveira, he's going to have to reconsider his training methods and reconsider his approach to fighting. That, that just shouldn't happen in my opinion. So um, I think he wins it, and he wins it going away. There'll be some rest spots. Um, if he gets a little bit too lazy or if he can't control control Oliveira and take him down consistently and just hold him, because like I said, Bruce's defense isn't very good. But outside of that, he should just win the fight. It should be very similar to the fight with Ross Pearson in my Okay, I can, I can definitely look at that breakdown here. I think that this is a big fight for um, Will Brooks, and he needs to get this win if he's going to you know, submit himself in a conversation to get an eventual um it's gonna take a while though he's, he's in the wrong division you you could he he managed to get himself into a title shot but there's guys who are like on five fight winning strike streaks at 55 and they're nowhere near a title shot there's a lot of guys who are capable of putting your lights out or finishing you even guys who he's favored against so it's it's not going to be an easy climb and it, he can't afford any misstep he really can't a lot of pressures on him he fought his way out of bellator to get to this spot, so you know, it's not like he has a lot of w- options outside of the UFC if this doesn't go well for him. So he's got a lot of pressure on him, and he's got a lot of fights he's got to win before he can be in position to be considered for a title fight. And he hasn't fought a guy who's really good enough to get him even in that fringe contender status or fringe contender conversation. I mean, Ross Pearson, how many fights has he lost recently? Oliveira, he's good, but who has he really beat that makes him a name in the UFC? No one. Brooks is. 
still trying to find a name guy who can get him that cachet, you know, legitimacy that makes him known as a legitimate lightweight contender. He doesn't have it yet. He's just another guy who's coming in, who's got some potential, and who's accomplishing another organization as of right now. So, interesting thing is that um, I think it's. I think I think that the fight that that the path to a title shot might be shorter than than you think though because if Alvarez does hold the title after UFC 205, you know they do. Brooks and Alvarez have been going at it since before Alvarez even joined the UFC. Um, they've been bickering over over Twitter and all that stuff. So that convers if they pick that back up, and it picked up enough steam, that could be enough reason for the UFC to make that fight as it is now. You know they don't need a lot of a reason now. I mean, they they make fights left and right just because someone has the potential to sell. So I think if if 2016 ends and Eddie Alvarez is still champion and Will Brooks wins one maybe two more fights with this fight and one other, I can see him putting himself in a position to um, talk uh, talk his way into the uh, title picture based off of the fact that he never lost his Bellator title. And based off of the fact that him and Alvarez already have a history across uh, social media, he'd probably have to win three fights because if Alvarez beats McGregor, you know Alvarez even the, even if he wins dominantly, he's gonna do the same thing Chris Weidman did when he beat Silva. He's gonna he's gonna ask for a rematch because it'll be a bigger fight and he'll probably be able to really cash in on the on the rematch. So if he beats McGregor, you know he's gonna ask for a rematch. That's the biggest fight out there for him. So, so, so this is gonna have to win at least this fight, the next fight, and at least one other fight because that fight for that fight between the rematch between if Alvarez beats him, the rematch between him and McGregor will probably be three six months depending on how the fight goes and how how much damage is done to, to each guy. And if he loses, then I don't know that Brooks Brooks still might want to fight Alvarez, but I don't know that he might. He might figure, hey, I'm on the way up. I'm not taking this fight with this dude when he just came off a big loss. He might, he might take that up to the A lot of fighters do that. They want to fight a guy until they got, when they got something they want. They got to lose it. Also, my fight, there's not really any more uh, purpose for that fight. I thought it was a personal vendetta. And once again, like we keep saying, more and more people are looking at this as a business. Not just some of their dudes for free, a way to smash their graduates. They want to get paid. They want to get their brand out there. They want to establish a legacy. Um, Sometimes fighting guys who's on who's on lose, especially in the UFC, where you have multiple guys who title shot and rankings, fighting guys who's on a losing streak, maybe wants to take their chances. Ask Justin Poirier, he's in the test of the title shot. Now he's way at the back of the line. Ask Ben Rockwell, test of the title shot, way at the back of the line. All because they fight guys on losing streak who came up big and beat them. I mean, yeah, that's definitely some. Um good analysis there. Let's talk about one more topic before we bring the show to a close today. Um, did you see the news about Jose Aldo uh, threatening, well not threatening, asking for his release and then saying he's going to retire? You know, when I read the story, I'm not mad at him for it. You know, he basically said that he can't, he's at a point in his career where he can't afford to believe or take Dana White's word for anything. Dana White said that McGregor's going down, back down to featherweight to defend his title against the winner of uh, Aldo Edgar. Aldo goes out there and wins, wins in dominant fashion. That fight's not happening. Then he says, you know, we want you to fight at UFC 205, but it's either Max Holloway or um, Anthony Pettis. 
I'm not taking that fight on a short notice, um, not having a, a full camp. He offered to take the fight on, on December 10th. They told him no. So at this point, you know, I, I'm not saying I feel for Aldo in a sympathy standpoint, but this is a man who dominated the featherweight division for years. Yes, he lost in 13 seconds. I get that. I understand. He dominated at that division for years. If it's okay to give Ronda Rousey an immediate title shot, if it's okay to give to keep Cain Velasquez in the heavyweight title picture for years, you know, you give him McGregor a lightweight title um, shot. He never won the. Um, he never. He's never even fought in, in that division in the UFC. Like, there's so many different question marks that you have to ask, and here it is. Jose Aldo's threatening to walk away from the sport. Do you believe he's going to do it? And if you were in Dana White's position, how would you react to that? First of all, I'm not quite sure if I believe him because if he wants to retire, why doesn't he just retire? Why is he asking for his relief? Like, if you just want to retire, say I retire. And then if you decide you want to fight, you can come back to the UFC. Like, if you're really serious about being out, then just retire. And then if you change your mind, come back fight for the UFC. It's like... It makes me think that he wants to go to another organization because why else would he ask the UFC to release him? If he tells Dana, I want to retire, Dana White's not going to stop him from retiring. Dana White's not going to stop him from doing whatever he wants in his free time. But Dana White will say, if you choose to come back and fight, you're fighting for us. So why does he want to release if he's just going to retire? Just retire. See, because I, when, I, when I hear that, you know, when I hear that, it, it gives way too much power to 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 the UFC like they're it gets it like and they shouldn't be able to do like they wouldn't do that to Conor McGregor like they like they are showing that they don't have the ability to control him in a way so if I was out I'm like you know what I'm I'm valuable I I've done more than enough to earn my position in, in this this sport so you know what I want out and I want you to give me out and he's willing to fight these guys because I'm interested to see if he how he's going to approach this from a contractual court standpoint if there has any basis on saying that they're breaching the contract I'm interested in that but um, I'm not mad at him for asking his release because obviously they're not interested in using him in the way that he should be used well there's we're saying the way he should be used but if they're his employers, the way he should be used is based off of them. Just because he doesn't agree with it doesn't mean anything. I mean, no offense to him. I'm, I'm an Aldo fan. He's a, he, I respect his honesty. I respect the fact that he's been open since he's been the champion instead of waiting until he lost the title and he's a, he's a has-been for him to start taking shots at the UFC. I respect that. But the one thing you got to think about Aldo is he's not a, he's not a draw, and he never has been. Two, he's pulled out of a lot, a lot of fights. There's been, like huge periods of time where he hasn't he's he hasn't performed and i'm not saying conor mcgregor should have been treated better than him but mcgregor has fought short notice he's fought injured he's fought in any sort of way you want he's dependable not just financially like bringing in money he is dependable when you say conor mcgregor's gonna fight it doesn't matter who falls out conor mcgregor will still fight win or lose he's taking chances that aldo would never take so i can see why the usc would side with the guy who's the bigger star and the more dependable guy, who wouldn't? Who's not going who's not, who's not to side on the side of the bigger, the better talent and the guy you know who's going to show up every day? I mean, that's not even a question. If you think about it business-wise, that's why Manning and Brady can be who they are. They're the best, and they're dependable. 
you said something very, very, very interesting here. You said that he's an employee of the UFC. He's actually not. He's an independent contractor. They don't treat these guys as if they're employees. They don't have the same rights that employees have. So why should Aldo give them the same rights as employers? Well, that's true. And that's, that's, I'm guessing that's the only way he's going to be able to attack this contract. That's the only thing he's going to say is I'm not their employee. I'm an independent contractor, so I shouldn't have to be able to I shouldn't have to be able to fight fight for them if I want. I should be able to go somewhere if I want. And I, that'd be the only argument he has because nothing else Dana White said, that doesn't hold up in court. Well, Dana said, yeah, but did he write down a contract? No. Okay. So that doesn't matter. And, I, and another thing is, I don't know why Aldo thinks he's special. Unless you're a huge draw, and even then, Dana's not always very fond of people. I mean, look at Frankie Edgar. What if, how, long, how often was Frankie, Frankie Edgar told he's going to get a rematch? Multiple, how many uh-huh. fights did he have to win before he got the second shot at Aldo? A lot of guys got done done wrong by the UFC on Aldo's watch, and Aldo didn't seem to have any concern until it started affecting him as an individual. And and that's the problem with MMA fighters as a whole. It's all, it's it's a singular sport. You don't really care about the other guys until it impacts you. I get where Jose Aldo is coming from. I respect where he's coming from. I think they should let him go and let him go fight somewhere else or let him retire and release him, whatever he wants. I feel they should do that. But based on, based on the UFC's position and what they want out of it and what their goal is, which is to make the UFC the most money, make the UFC the biggest brand, I wouldn't do it for him. Why should I? He didn't. He didn't fight injured when he wanted him to. He didn't take short notice fights when he wanted him to. You know, he's been running his mouth saying how crappy you are and how unprofessional you are and how this fight deal stinks and this and that. Why am I doing you any favors? Not like you played ball with me. Not like you were a company man like Chuck Liddell or Matt Hughes. You didn't play ball, so and you don't bring in money. So why am I doing you any favors? What am I? Why am I bending over for you? I hate to say that as a person because I believe in helping people. But if you look at the bottom line, what has Jose Aldo done to help the UFC out where the UFC feels like, you know what, we need to we need to do him a solid? I mean, Dana talks trash about George St. Pierre. You really think Jose Aldo's above being talked down on? You really? I mean, he held Randy Couture to a contract. You think Jose Aldo's above that? No, he, he's not. He doesn't care. He's about what helps out the UFC and what helps out his pocket. So Aldo's going to have to fight his way out, and I don't know how he – how he gets out of it, except for saying, I'm an independent contractor. I should have the right to do this and do that. But the UFC is a multi-billion dollar company, and I can't imagine their lawyers have a set of contracts and don't have answers to these sort of questions that Jose Aldo is going to be presenting. And I know Jose Aldo made good money, but he ain't making Conor McGregor money. So how long can he afford to be in court with the UFC and be retired? To spend that kind of, have that kind of money going out and you're not bringing money in? I mean... Unless there's something I don't know, I don't think that he can, he can afford to have that fight. The UFC can afford to do it for years. I don't know that he can afford to, and nobody cares about Jose Aldo in America. It's not going to bring them any bad press. Not really. Not on a on a national level. Nobody's going to want to hear that. They're going to hear a guy who got knocked out in 13 seconds, getting the rematch, and all and all anybody's going to say. And I'm going to put my asshole hat on for a moment. If you wanted to to call shots and you wanted to dictate, you should have won when you were the champ killing everybody UFC couldn't tell you anything you got knocked out and now you're talking about respect and you need to give me a second shot you lost the fight all you had to do was win he beats McGregor none of this conversation happened same thing I said about Frankie Edgar you want to get all these shots you want to have all these titles you want to get pushed you didn't beat him so now you're sitting there complaining about how they're treating you after you lost sorry you lost you're in the fight game that's what happened 
Winners get cheered and pats on the back. Losers get run over and have dirt thrown on them. Conor McGregor lost. Look what happened to him. Everybody piled on him. Then he came back and won. Now he's calling shots again. So he lost the fight. And when he lost that fight, he, he had to know that he's only getting one shot at McGregor. I never believed there was going to be a rematch. He had to know this guy is a huge star. If he beats me, there will be no rematch. I can't afford to lose this fight. He had the one fight he couldn't afford to lose, and he lost. And the UFC just doesn't care. You know, they're not going to kill themselves to keep to, to, to give him opportunities. He can just give up on that McGregor rematch. That's not happening unless McGregor decides he wants it. And McGregor can make funny fighting anybody. And worse yet, McGregor is fighting a champion at a higher weight. So how can you even really criticize him? He's ducking the guy. He knocked out in 13 seconds to fight one of the guys who's going to go down as an all-time great and lightweight because he's won titles in every organization outside of the UFC and now is a UFC champ. Is that really ducking? That's not ducking. Wanting to fight RDA isn't ducking Jose Aldo. He's choosing the baddest guy at a higher weight class. You can't even say that he's scared of him. What is he scared of? Sir, those are all facts there, man. All facts. All facts. So let's um we're gonna go ahead and bring this show on to a close. You know, we've been having uh just we've been having a great conversation about MMA. I am rescheduling the interview with Chris Perez because he was unable to join us today due to some due to some technical difficulties. We were we were kind of trying to work it out, but couldn't get it straightened out. So we're gonna reschedule that interview. But we still gave you good content. Yeah, we man, it's a fantastic but show. Top-notch discussions, top-notch analysis. This, this is this is us with technical difficulties. So everybody who's competing with us, y'all need to get your game on right because we're still killing y'all with technical difficulties. You don't want to see what happens when it's going smooth. I'm telling y'all right now. Totally right, totally right there, man. Let everybody know where they can find you and where they can uh, listen or read what you got to say on a day-to-day basis. As always, I'm on Twitter. Like I said, ask me a question. DM me if you want, or tweet me. I will answer any and all questions. If you want to answer it on the show, uh, just put hashtag MMA Ratings Podcast. I will answer on the show in a long form, or I can answer it on Twitter. I'm legendary for my rants, and I will break down fights like I'm writing a book through 140 characters at a time. So I'm never too busy for anybody who appreciates the finer points of combat sports, whether it's boxing or MMA. And I really need to start getting on the site and, and writing stuff. I've been really lazy about that, but I'm, in this next month or so, I'm going to start getting better about that so I can have something in long form for people to kind of consume. But yeah, just hey, man, joining on the fun. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, just hit me up on Twitter. And like I said, sometimes I might hold back on an answer just because somebody might be having me scout somebody or I'm working with somebody and I can't answer right away. But, you know, as it gets closer to that fight night or whatever, then you'll get everything you need from me because I'll be – like, oh, well, there ain't nothing going to happen that ain't going to happen already. So here's the deal. So with that in mind, you can always find me at rgarcia underscore sports talking about just about everything, man. MMA, NFL. I got some NFL work to do tonight. Sport, just sports, sports, and most sports. You got work to do? No. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So... <laughs> Get back with us next week. We will be here. I will be in Orlando, but I am still going to make sure this show get taped. We we are going to talk more MMA, and yeah, we got a hell of a. Um, this, this is going to be a great 
fall and winter season, folks, strap you um, strap yourselves in because there's going to be a lot of great action going down. Hey guys, Raphael needs to get some rest. Y'all need to start listening. <laughs> we, we need to get more listens and more likes on the show so this man does not pass out from exhaustion. I'm concerned for him. I can't do nothing <laughs> from here. I, I, I'm down south. I can't do nothing. You need to get on this show more and start telling your friends so this man can take a day off. I, I, I'm not even going to ask for a week. Just give me a day, Raphael, where you just chill out and I will be happy. I'm, I'm, I'm coming up on one, man. I have a vacation coming up starting October 7th. I'm not right. sure how little bit of work I'm going to be doing, but October 7th, 3 o'clock, the vacation begins and it's beginning with copious amounts of alcohol. Hey, Please you're, believe. Yes, you're a good guy. You're hard work at you. You know, MMA and other sports very well. I just don't want to see nothing happen to you. I care about people, man. I don't want to see nothing happen to you. <laughs> Well, awesome, man. I definitely appreciate it, dude. So let's go ahead and close the show out, and we will be back next week with more action to talk about. Hey, thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a great night, man.